Dale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I still haven't edited the last four weeks of episodes. And with you me this get week, these episodes of help. With me this week is Esposo de la Pastora, Dan Marcello. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> marathon running Muffin Calvin. Wait. Uh, big bearded beauty Daniel Wright. Oh. And worship director Scott Reed. Yeah. <laughs> no one else is here. It's just us. We've never had an episode of just us. Yeah. That's kind of fun. An episode of just me and Bill one time. You did. It was killer. Thank you. Probably our, we peaked at that point. Have you released that one? Oh my gosh. Just <laughs> pray. Just <laughs> pray and get us started. Fine. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and, and this chance that we had to be together. Um and to <laughs> all of us. <laughs> all two of us. Sorry, God. Um, no, the chance we had to be together, Lord, and to talk about things that matter in our lives because of what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that this conversation uh, would be uh, glorifying to you and edifying to those who hear it. Uh, Lord, we give this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we get into what you rathers, let me ask you a question, Scott. Okay. You're insanely busy. You, That's usually pretty true. You've been insanely busy for at least two months now, but probably going on three. I'm I'm insanely busy. I've been insanely busy for a while. I think most people would consider themselves insanely busy. I like, I'm having trouble sleeping at night because I just can't stop thinking about how much I have to do. I just feel perpetually overwhelmed. Hmm. For example, today I was supposed to screen... 150 applicants, um, but I only managed to get through about a hundred of them before my phone broke. Uh, and so then I was on the phone with Apple support for two hours before coming to this, um, and didn't get it resolved. They're coming calling me back at six. So it's possible my whole business just ended today, but that happens like once a year, (laughs) once a year, there's like a moment where it's like, Oh, I think, I think my business has finally ended because the technology can't do it. Um, so that's pretty exciting, but like, you know, there's Christmas presents to buy, um, that I haven't bought yet. There's, um, Renee's anniversary is on Saturday, um, which is super exciting. I'm, I am prepared for that. I have that priority in order. Praise God. (laughs) Um, my apartment is a disaster. Um, just all kinds of things going on. Haven't even touched the last four weeks of podcast episodes. Again, listeners, I'm sorry. Admittedly, by the time you hear this, they'll be done. Assuming, unless my grandkids inherit, like, the, <laughs> they inherit the hard drive and there's like, we've got to get those last four out before he died. <laughs> um, but how do you deal with the stress, right? How do you how do you deal with, like, the fact that you are just constantly doing things, especially with, like, as the young adults, as Yabs, as I think it's called, as uh-huh. Yabs gets bigger and bigger and, you know, you're preaching more now, which is a, a, a big-time commitment and, and, you know, you're still showing up for the first 10 minutes at least of worship rehearsal and the setup and stuff. <laughs> like, you know, how are you able to, to get things done the th- or do you do you successfully get all the things done you need to get done because you're pretty much consistently adding more things um usually i mean there's some things that are are semi on the back burner it's been a an interesting few weeks for for doing other things um i think there's a couple important 
rhythms in my life now that help me stay on top of things. One, which has just been a huge help recently, is the transition to having um, two days off during the week and just working full days on the weekend instead mm-hmm. of doing sort of like half days on the weekend and only having one day off. So working five days instead of six. Right. And that helped. Yes. Um, because before, um, it was this sort of interesting rhythm of, well, for one thing, the only time, the only day that I had off was my Sabbath. Right. Um, and so like that didn't, that wasn't really conducive to anything, getting anything done other than work because Mm -hmm. every other day was a work day and that was my Sabbath day on which I didn't want to do any work, including like housework or finances work or whatever. So having that second day to do that kind of work, errands, updating finances, tidying up the house, decorating for Christmas, buying Christmas presents, whatever, uh, has been super, super helpful. Hmm. Because then on like any given work day, I can be like, well, I don't have time to deal with this like one right now because I was sick over the weekend. So it's gotten behind, uh, is like, I've got this mountain of receipts on, on my, um, countertop that I need to put into our budget for December. Uh, and I'm like, I don't have time to do that today. Well, that's fine. I'll just do it on Friday. Hmm. Except this Friday we're gone. So I don't know when I'll do it, but, <laughs> but, um, but like just being able to say like, you know, this needs to get done. Like, you know, the apartment's kind of a mess, but I'm going to do that on Friday. I'm not going to worry about that today. Hmm. Um, cause Friday is my day to get things done, uh, outside of work. Um, and so that's been super helpful. Uh, and then another thing that's been helpful is, um, which also has not been like actually able to happen recently in the last couple of weeks for various reasons, is uh, having like some free time during work days. So like Saturday after choir rehearsals, theoretically I'm open from about 11.30 till like 4.30, give or take, which is a pretty good chunk of time to get extra things done. Um, so, and then Sunday after church too. So, um, yeah, I think just having those rhythms built into the schedule to tackle the things that aren't part of the normal routine, um, is helpful. Hmm. Um, and then also, yeah, just actually having a normal routine uh, is pretty helpful. Like, for example, I will always set up for the worship rehearsals on Tuesday afternoon. Right. Um, And so, like, that's when I do that. So that's definitely going to get done because I do that on Tuesdays. Um, Or, like, I will always send out the questions to the small group leaders for the Young Adults Bible Study on Wednesday at some point, preferably early in the day. So... I know that's going to get done because I do that on Wednesdays. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I get everything done. Hmm. Well, let's get into Would You Rathers. All right. Max, I think we'll just both answer the questions because there's only two of us. What, you don't want to do uh, quiz masters, Toastmasters? <laughs> Toastmasters. And quiz the audience in six yeah, weeks right is, in. The, is <laughs> yeah. the judge. That's the secret, Captain, <laughs> is that I never publish them. <laughs> <laughs> you guys think you guys actually think there's 87 episodes? There's 187 episodes. We record twice a week, and I just put up the one I like more. 
Sorry, Sean Mitchell. <laughs> um, would you rather have a real or a fake Christmas tree? Fake. I'll say this. I'm sorry. I just put a cinnamon roll in my mouth. So <laughs> it was not smart. No, it wasn't smart at all. But that's the kind of day it's been. So, um, so here's the thing. I had a um, a couple times we had real Christmas trees growing up, but I'm allergic to Christmas trees. Oh. Uh. And it's not the kind of thing where, you know, it's instant, but it's like the longer I'm in the house with it. Yeah. And especially if like, if I sleep in the house with the tree, <laughs> if I pull the tree into my bed, <laughs> sleep next to it. But if I sleep in the house with a tree, it'll start to really, to really affect me. And, um, so I've always gone fake and my family goes fake. Ironically, the guilds left a Christmas tree that I, that we used the last two years. Daniel oh, Wright and I used the last two years. Um, what? Is that a real one? Uh, they left a fake Christmas tree. <laughs> they didn't leave a real one. It's just, just very decaying. Dead. <laughs> I'm very allergic to that. Um, but that, uh, just because of where it was stored in the in the garage, and I'm not even 100% sure it belonged to the guilds, but it was very dusty. And mm. I'm also allergic to dust. So I would have an allergic reaction to that tree, too. So I guess what I'd say is I want a fake tree that gets stored in, like, a vacuum. <laughs> a vacuum uh, cleaner? In like, like no, <laughs> shush. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's what I'd say. Huh? What about you? Uh, I also go fake. I, you, I had a, you had a fake Christmas tree on your wedding registry. We did. And that you was got Chelsea's it too. idea. That was a really good idea. Was it really? If you use fake trees, because well, a nice fake tree is expensive. Well, um, and like, it's not really something that you think about needing until it's like December, and you're like, oh man, we need a tree. <laughs> um, like, yeah, they're like a couple hundred bucks for like a nice, wow. like a pretty nice one. Thank um, you, Chelsea Reinhold. Yeah, so that was Chelsea's idea. and It uh, always looks really good through your window. Thank you. Yeah, that was a real lights- lightsaber. That was a, a real life- lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> Lifesaver. Because, um, yeah, now we just have a nice tree that we'll oh. probably always have unless we get a, a new one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we used to do real ones when I was younger. And I think one year, because we would periodically um, go to... Washington for Christmas. Right. And so I think one year they were concerned about the fire hazard because we were going to be gone and the tree was going to get dry and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So they got like a kind of a cheaper fake one for that year. And then I think it was just so convenient um, that then they got like a nicer fake one. And, and it, it is really convenient. Um, yeah. And uh, also with like animals, like you don't lose pine needles all over the place and stuff because the cats will like, you know, paw at the tree or whatever. Oh, right. So definitely fake. But I think I might be allergic or, or Chelsea even also might be allergic to Christmas trees too. Because oh. then we go over to my grandparents' house um, and they would have a real tree and yeah. like we would always have like allergy issues. Well, I am deathly allergic to your grandparents' house. Well, everyone is. There's, there's something in there for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, that might not be the best controlled environment for your scientific allergy tests. When were you in my grandparents' house? Oh, I don't know, six years ago or something. I spent, I was going to spend the night there, but then just from like the luncheon I was at that was there. You went to a luncheon at their house? Yeah, I don't remember why. I think it might have been your grandfather's birthday or something. Uh, well... I know, right? All right. Listeners, if you'd like to go to Scott's grandfather's luncheon, <laughs> you can visit podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. <laughs> Would you rather have candy canes or Christmas cookies? Christmas cookies. Yeah. No question. That's easy. Candy yeah. canes are overrated. Candy canes are fine. I think the larger they get, the worse they are. 
Like the little ones? Uh-huh. I like a little one because I'm not going to want to finish a giant one. And then what do I do? True. I, I think some of my strongest negative childhood memories involve trying to get that plastic back up a very sticky, saliva uh, melty candy cane. Yeah. It's just, just get the little tiny ones. Get like the two to three inch ones. Right. And just finish it on the spot or throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would always like the, the, the wrapper would like peel down and then kind of yep. start getting stuck. Yes. You kind of like, couldn't get it further down. Yep. That was always really annoying. Or the crook gets broken. But you don't want it to break, but you really should just break it because until it breaks, it's just really hard to like yep. <laughs> maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. You're like navigating around this curve. Yeah. And the plastic. <clears throat> yeah. Chelsea and Chris just made a bunch of Christmas cookies, which I always nice. appreciate because Chelsea makes the kind of Christmas cookies that I grew up with, uh, including my favorite Christmas cookies, which are called surprise cookies, which are like little balls <laughs> okay. um, about the size of... Uh, like a golf ball? Yeah, like a... Mm, Ping like pong? a ping pong, ping ball, pong ball, maybe a little, maybe a little bit smaller, but they're like a certain kind of dough, obviously, and then they've got a Hershey's Kiss inside, and they're Aww, so good. That's cool. Yeah, Chelsea brought over a tin of those for us, like yesterday, the day before. I love thumbprint cookies with like like jam and jam and oh, those are so I good. I love thumbprint cookies. Yeah. Best cookie. Um, would you rather have Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner? Well, so here's a little nugget of information about my family. My family celebrates Christmas on Christmas Eve and then for Christmas dinner, Christmas dinner, I don't really think we do anything fancy at all. For Christmas Eve dinner, we also don't do anything fancy, but that was the one time a year we could get stuffed crust pizza was on Christmas Eve. So we <laughs> go to I don't we didn't get stuffed. That was too fancy. So we so <laughs> one time a year we get stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. Wow. So I'm going with Christmas Eve dinner. <laughs> Fair enough. Because I can get turkey anytime. <laughs> but I can never get can stuffed never crust, get stuffed pizza. crust pizza. That ever elusive stuffed crust pizza. <laughs> turkey, a dime a dozen. I've got six cooked turkeys in my fridge at any time. Admittedly, I've got two boxes of uh, mashed potatoes in my cabinet right now. I've got no boxes of stuffed crust pizza. You also no boxes of turkey. Wow. Um, we didn't really do a Christmas dinner. What we would do is we would wake up and have like a little bit of breakfast at my parents' house and do Christmas there. And then we'd go over to my grandparents' house and we'd have like a big breakfast um, with big like breakfast. a ton of bacon and like egg, like quiche kind of things and food yeah. and all that stuff. And then, then we just like kind of pick at the leftovers for the rest of the day. Um, so we never did a big fancy uh, Christmas dinner. Huh. So. I guess if I was choosing between the breakfast and Thanksgiving dinner, I'd probably go with Thanksgiving, mm. but I don't really, yeah, we didn't really do Christmas dinner. Um, Leah's family does Christmas dinner though, which oh. is kind of like a new experience for me. Sure. What uh, are they? And it is very good. Is it a fun time or is it yeah. like Thanksgiving, but at Christmas? It's kind of like Thanksgiving. They don't do turkey though. They often do like a, like a well, ham, at least right? in my experience, they do like a roast beef oh. thing and Leah's mom makes uh, gravy, which is very good. Leah's family's gravy is just like phenomenal. Wow. Uh, like Leah makes really good gravy and her mom makes really good gravy. Wow. And I think they, she learned it from her mom, but I've never had her gravy. So just have to assume, <laughs> uh, would you rather in terms of like a Santa tradition, put cookies out for Santa or do the elf on the shelf? What? Oh, I don't really understand the elf on the shelf. Do you? I do now. I didn't grow up with it. So it's kind of, but it's like I know Bill the elf, I think every day is in like a new location and the oh. kids have to find him. Oh. And then also he's like watching you during December and like reporting to Santa. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't agree with that <laughs> spiritually. Um, I, 
I would go with cookies for Santa, something biblical. <laughs> yeah, I would go cookies for Santa. I mean, because like, at least somebody gets to eat them. The parents don't benefit at all from Elf on a Shelf. <laughs> Unless you're going to use it in like a weird manipulative way of like they get a whole month of good behavior out of their kids because their kids are terrified this tiny elf is going to sell them out. Is. That's bogus. I I think <laughs> I think don't laugh. <laughs> Listeners can wonder what I cut out. <laughs> um, that's bogus. I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's weird. I think it's more fun for your parents to eat the cookies while they're doing whatever on Christmas Eve. Well, it's certainly more fun for them. Um, <laughs> that is true. I think, I think like the elf on the shelf though, I, I agree. I would also say cookies, but, um, I think you like put it in like, try and put it in like creative places and like maybe that's in like fun. different poses. Sure. So it's like, it depends on how much work you want to put in, but if you want to put in work, I think it's, I think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, would you rather? Oh, this is kind of a niche joke. Bring it. Only if you've seen the movie. Would you rather work in Santa's toy shop or be a dentist? Is this a? This is a. Um, this is a Willy Wonka chocolate factory. This is a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory reference. No, it's Because his father, just Johnny Depp's father, was a dentist in the movie. <laughs> no, it's a I'm Rudolph on the Red Nosed Reindeer reference. Oh, really? Yeah, because I forget his name. The elf in that movie, the stop, like the claim. He wants to be a dentist. He wants to be a dentist. Oh, man. I think I saw that once. So I'll wow. just assume it's a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory reference. <laughs> I'm going to go with... Because his, da- <laughs> his dad's a dentist. Because Willy Wonka's father, played by Sir Christopher Lee, right. is a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> this is. episode is so off the rails. Um, it's already 3.30. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we've been recording for 23 minutes. Um, I, I'm going to go with dentist, frankly. Really? You really want to move to the North Pole? I don't know. I what don't. if you have to be in the North Pole either way? Well, <laughs> that's, that's just, that is some Bill Calvin level question changing. That is not, that's not fair. If I could, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> fair. If I could teleport to the North Pole, I'd take the job at the North Pole. Like if there's like a, and, oh. And like no commute. Yeah. You could just get there. Or even, yeah. or even like I drive to the nearest post office and they've got, you know, Portal of Santa's in the back, which I feel like is the plot of some movie. So like, That'd I think cool. a Santa Claus, I think it's the plot of like the Santa Claus. No. Okay. It's kind of sort of like Klaus, which is a great that. movie. Huh. Klaus is on Netflix and if you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it this Christmas because it's amazing. Wow. This Christmas season. Yeah. It's really cute. What would you take? Um, I think I agree with that sentiment of if I could just get there, the toy shop. Yeah. But. I just don't think you and Leo would have a lot of fun in the North Pole. Unless it's like a whole city. Unless it's like the, yeah, well, I'm, I guess if it's Santa's toy shop, usually there is kind of a city. Anyway, would you rather be left behind by your family for a Christmas vacation or shoot your eye out with your new BB gun? <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Um, well, seeing as one of them is permanent and horrifying, I guess I'd go with left behind. Well, when he does shoot his eye out. He doesn't actually lose his eye. He doesn't actually eye. Like, lose his eye. But I don't think he actually shoots his eye out. He just thinks he's shot his eye uh, out. He fair. says, I shot my eye out. That's fair. So I think, but even, uh, I'll say this, one of my favorite Christmas traditions that will be broken this year, but I've done for, I think the, like the last three years is I've traveled on Christmas on the night of Christmas. So the morning of Christmas, I take Scott to the airport and then the night of Christmas, I fly out and I spend Christmas day. I buy like an artsy, very peaceful indie video game and I play through it on Christmas day. And it's so much fun. I really, I really enjoy that. And then jump on a plane and fly to see my family. 
um, cause I'm here to help out with the Christmas Eve service. So, so I would say, uh, you know, that's basically what I've already been doing for the last three years. So let's go with that. <laughs> Be left behind for, for a Christmas vacation. <laughs> for Christmas vacation. Yeah. I mean, we just watched, um, not left behind. We just watched home alone last night and he, I mean, other than the break in, which is not a given yeah. in this scenario, he, he would have been fine without, he seems the pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's fine with the break-in. That's also true. <laughs> All right. And last question. Would you rather bake cookies until you collapse oh my. or eat cookies until you throw up? <sighs> All right. I have some questions. Do I get okay. to choose the type of cookie? <laughs> I just I, thought of the, like, totally inane answer. You can choose the type you bake, but not the type you eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's actually fair. Um and am I baking them alone, or can I have someone help me? Um, or even just have someone sitting on the counter while I bake cookies and I can talk to them. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It just says bake cookies till you collapse. I they know, can but be baking. I, I wrote it, so I can. Oh, you it. wrote this one? I wrote all of these. I thought you got them off of BuzzFeed. No, these are all mine. Oh, bless you. Um. Well then, yeah. I guess you do need to decide. <laughs> I'd say sure. I think I'd there. bake till I collapsed. Okay. I think if I was alone, I'd eat till I threw up. But if I could like be hanging out with someone and talking to them and choosing what cookies I was making, I'd I'd bake. Yeah. It's interesting because I think the baking would be a lot longer of a process. <laughs> You're probably gonna be baking for like a couple days. Till you collapse? <laughs> yeah. I think I'd collapse after standing for eighteen hours. Well, I mean that okay, that's at least more than one day's worth of being awake. Well, I suppose that's true, but I could eat cookies for days without throwing up. I have an iron gut. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think that's fair. Mm. Scott, give me a number between one and a thousand and one. Twenty-five. Ooh, all right. Uh, this comes to us, of course, from the book One Thousand and One Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by J. Stephen Lang. I think I'm out of fun facts for J. Stephen Lang. You don't even have a fun fact for Stephen Lang? Um, no. What about J. Lang? Who's J Lo? What J Lo? <laughs> for Jennifer Lawrence or Jennifer Lopez? Jennifer Lawrence recently said that she intentionally stopped like being very active in the public domain because quote people that. were getting sick of me, and I'm like that's pretty insightful. I just saw this something about that like yesterday because I remember starting to think I'm getting a little sick of Jennifer Lawrence, and then she disappeared for like three years, <laughs> and I was like, did I do that? Uh, this comes from the section familiar phrases number twenty five, holier than thou. Today, we connect the phrase with self-righteousness, a, quote, holier-than-thou attitude, end quote. In the Bible, God condemned this attitude and mocked the words of self-righteous people, quote, I have spread out my hands all the day unto the rebellious people, which walketh in a way that it was not good. After their... Excuse me. That was not good. After their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, which say, stand by thyself, come not... Near to me, for I am holier than thou. Kind of threw me off because this is like the only one of all of these that uses the KJV version, um, which always throws me off anyway. But uh, it is funny that... Was that a verse that you were just reading? That was a verse. That was Isaiah 65, verses 2 to 5 in the KJV. What's funny is that holier than thou is now, you know, used to refer to Christians in pop culture often. Right. Right. Or especially stuffy, sweater-wearing 50 to 70-year-old Christians in popular culture. Right. Um, and I think some of that rings true. I think 
you know, if it didn't, uh, I think it's Tim Keller and the prodigal God who says like that it's, you know, the church is often the pro- is often the other son, right? Mm-hmm. Is often the son who's like, how dare you let him come back, right? Taking sure. like the Jonah, not Langendorfer, but Jonah from the Bible <laughs> attitude. I always have to clarify that. Jonah uh, attitude of saying like, I don't want to go and preach forgiveness to these people because they're going to accept it and you're going to forgive them. And I'm mad at them for living this <laughs> life that I, you know, whatever. Right. Even the psalmist says, you know, have I kept myself pure for nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, was it all in vain? And so, like, you know, I think there is something to the idea of of us us as, like, people who were born and raised in the church and never really walked away um, being considered holier than thou. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think one of the things I love about Bloomingdale, and that I was thinking about this just the other night uh, on the, after the Saturday night service, was, like, so many people in this church are, like, born again or walked away and came back. I've mm. never been in a church where that had such a high percentage, I feel like, of people who either came to Christ as adults or, you know, grew up in the church and then walked away and then came back. Mm. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I feel like we're going to start seeing more and more of that mm-hmm. um, in the American church. Hopefully we'll see more and more Hopefully, of that yeah, because we're going to see less and less of the people Cultural. who grew up in, yeah. in the church. Yeah. And I do think, you know, we talked about this a couple months ago about sort of the, I don't know who the author was that you were talking about who was sort of saying he's expecting the decline of of cultural Christianity in the United States. Right. I, I assume that's Sky Jatani. That's typically in line with the kinds of things he says. It might have been. I can't remember. Um, I think he says that in Whiff. Um, I don't know, maybe it is. But either way, <laughs> but either way, like, you know, I think as as the Bible says, like, you know, you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm. And so I spit you out of my mouth is like, you know, right. if you're engaged, like you take Paul, for example, right. He makes it very clear that like all of these skills that he was building up all of like, you know, his training and, and his zeal, like was aimed at the wrong thing, but all it took was God to align him towards righteousness and towards the truth. And all of a sudden, instead of being, you know, running a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction, he's running a hundred miles an hour in the right direction. Whereas someone who's, you know, moving two miles an hour and is just like, yeah, you know, I'm in the right ish direction, like is not furthering the kingdom of God, especially if it's like a vague, like I'm like, you know, I'm moving in sort of a cone kind of shape and somewhere in there is encapsulated the right direction. Mm. Um, and I'm very privileged in getting to say that because I came from a place where there's absolutely no cultural Christianity of any kind. (laughs) I grew up in a place that was very hostile to the gospel. And so, um, anybody who was just kind of, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm a Christian. I believe in like a God. Was pretty much weeded out by the time we hit high school mm-hmm. because of just the constant, you know, popular statements that that belief in God was the source of of human suffering, of evil. Um, so, you know, I want to acknowledge my own bias in that in saying that I'm excited for the decline of cultural Christianity for people who are truly passionate about discipleship to to you know, become the face of Christianity in America. Yeah. I was actually just talking about that a little bit this morning um, regarding COVID. Hmm. I think COVID has weeded out a fair amount of cultural Christianity. Interesting. Um, At least in my observation. Why is that? I think um, we're just seeing a lot of people who 
you know, COVID happened. They were more or less required to not go to church hmm. and they're just not really coming back. Sure. I think, I think, and this might be overly harsh, but I think it's true for some people that church was just kind of what was like familiar like and like what you do, what you do. And then now they found something that's much more convenient and that's now familiar. And um, I don't have to do that actually. Hmm. And so I think, uh, you know, we, we, as the American church, uh, I would imagine just based off of what I've observed around here, um, probably just sloughed off a good amount of cultural Christians, who are just going because that's just kind of what you do. Interesting. Yeah. I do feel like, you know, this is where I start to feel the, uh, the, <laughs> the majorly feel the absence of Bill Calvin who like, man, I would love to hear what he has to say. Cause he's always so insightful on all topics. <laughs> um, but I do think, you know, I think, uh, if Bill Calvin were here, <laughs> I don't know what he would say. There's no knowing. <laughs> but I think it's important to acknowledge, again, like the the fact that, you know, there's a big difference between what we would call, what you and I at least, uh, as far as I know, would call cultural Christians versus people who are just seeking, right? Like it's very, very different. Right. Um, right. Uh, as, as I would define sort of cultural Christianity is... Um, perhaps best described by a friend of mine that I, I was in middle school and hanging out at her house. And I mentioned I was going to church and she asked her mom, she was like, mom, what religion are we? And her mom was like, we're Christians. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't know. I think, I think that <laughs> encapsulates the mindset a little bit mm -hmm. of, of, um, you know, it's more or less like my civic duty to yeah. go to church and, yeah. um, I don't know. Sort of like a, it's like a tradition. It's like what you do. Yeah. It's a little more ritualistic. Yeah. I don't know. See, we don't have any, we don't have any guardrails to keep us. <laughs> we don't have the, the rest of the squad to keep us in the right lane. So. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think that the way that I would define cultural Christians are people who would identify as Christians because that's the culture that they grew up in, but that when it comes down to, you know, their real relationship with God, it's either not really there or it's just sort of kind of perfunctory. Hmm. Um, and like, and I'm not trying to cast judgment on any specific person. I think this is just a kind of person. I mean, the Bible identifies this kind of person, the lukewarm Christian that we were just talking about. I think lukewarm Christian and cultural Christian are kind of at their heart the same thing. It's yeah. just... You know, cultural Christian has a specific origin, yeah. which is a, a pseudo-Christian culture, hmm. um, which is declining. Yeah. Um, well, it's time for Sermon Roundup. Yeah! <laughs> um, thank you, Dan. Uh, this, this is the point where my lack of notes is going to become an issue. So let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I did, I really, I really liked your sermon this week. Um, I thought it was really cool, really engaging. Um, I can't remember anything, uh, <laughs> from it. <laughs> so remind me, what, what did you preach about? <laughs> preached about Zechariah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm back. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so listeners missed me telling Scott that I cannot for the life of me remember what he preached about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, <clears throat> um, so in your sermon, Talking about Zechariah, uh, one of the things that I really loved uh, that you brought up was uh, the difference between um, the angel's response to Zechariah and his response to Gabriel. Nope, to Mary. <laughs> um, and and specifically, uh, I think this is kind of a a, a, a joke sometimes among. Christians is just like, you know, Zachariah and Mary asked essentially the same question, but they got different responses. And, I, and you made the good point that, you know, they don't actually quite ask the same question, right? That, that Zachariah is more of the, like, are you sure? And Mary is more of just like, she's not surprised by the what, or she's not, she doesn't doubt the what, right? She doubts the how, or she's like, how is that even possible? Um, but I, I, the other thing that you brought up uh, towards the end that I really appreciate and that I've been thinking about for, um, for a while has been just the expectation is so different between this, you know, 14 to 16 year old girl living in the middle of nowhere and, and this priest who like, it is his turn to be in the temple, right? It's like, that is, he is, um, is spent his whole life right in this order and 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 learning and he's supposed to know he's supposed to believe if anyone's supposed to respond like yes great i'm excited i love it like it's supposed to be him sure um and so when he comes back and he's like what <laughs> how, how can i be sure this will happen it's like you of all people should be the one who's 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 on board and who's not you know surprised but but not you know doubtful of it. And I think that kind of sets the tone for how, um, for how Jesus is going to come into the world and he's going to go to the people who like really should have figured it out by now, but haven't and say, why haven't you figured this out? And he's going to go to the people who by their own admission, like have no chance of figuring it out. And he's going to say, come and follow me. Hmm. Um, and he's going to say, come and follow me to both, um, to both groups. But, you know, he's going to give the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law a chance. And when they refuse to, to you know, listen to him, he's going to be like, how have you spent so many years, like, just not, like, studying, but completely missed the point? Whereas right. these people, you know, like, you even see my miracles. And these people can't study the scriptures, but they see my miracles and they know, like, they know who to follow. Um, and I, I think that's reflected in that story. Hmm. Um and also, like, I think it's like, uh, you know, Zachariah, he's not like in power, but he is sort of higher in the society a little bit, I believe, right? I mean, as a priest, I as would a think priest. So, yeah. But John, his son, is ultimately going to be shunned and then killed by people who are higher in society. Right. Um, and so there's like some, some interesting, like, circularity there, right? Some, some connections to, to that. And I always love, I think it's Jesus. Yeah. It's when Jesus describes himself as the wedding song and, and John as the funeral dirge. Mm -hmm. Um, and he says, you know, we played you a funeral dirge and you didn't mourn. Um, and we played you a wedding song and you didn't dance. Uh, he says that to the Pharisees and, um, yeah. So I, I, I really love that. Um, that connection, because I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, Jesus comes to, to each of us, no matter where we're at, and says, you know, follow me. And mm. um, and 
to those who have been given a lot, a lot will be expected. And to those who have been given little, little will be expected. But we all have the same choice. Um, I don't know. What do you think? About what? Of what I just said. <laughs> am I off the hook? Am I off? Am I crazy? What do you think about the idea that that Zachariah doesn't like reject, but he like severely doubts the message when it comes to him. Mm-hmm. And then when the baby's born and his mother, you know, Zachariah's wife is like, Oh, it's like, it's, you know, Elizabeth is like, it's John. His name is John. And they, but this cloud of their peers around them is like, you don't have anybody like by that name. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Zachariah has to say like, no, his name is John. Right. Right. Do you think there's significance to that connection? to the way Jesus approaches the Pharisees, to the way John the Baptist approaches the Pharisees. Like, you know, is it significant? What is the significance of the fact that John is born to, the, to a priest, to two people from a priestly line, um, and Jesus is not, right? Um, well, I think one of the part of the significance that Jesus is not born from the Levitical line is... Because as we find out later, that Jesus isn't a, line, isn't a priest after the line of Levi, he's a priest after the line of Melchizedek. Right. Um, and like the Levitical priesthood is sort of intrinsically connected to this old covenant. And so, and Jesus is, is the new covenant. And, um, and, Mel, and, you know, and we see Melchizedek, this, all of these parallels. So anyway, I think that's part of why Jesus wasn't born from the priestly line. In addition to the fact that he was going to be descended from David. And so that, I, mean, I guess you could also... At that point, you could have had kind of a convergence, but uh, but I think yeah, that's why he's not part of the Levitical priesthood. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I I think that there's a pretty good case to be made that one of the reasons that John was descended from the priests was, um, you know, for that uh, anointing. Like John was the priest that anointed mm. Jesus as king in some ways, yeah, anointed by the Holy Spirit, yeah. Um, and uh, and I also think you know. I think kind of circling back around to what you were getting at, I think that, you know, there's significance in like, yeah, even though Jesus spent a fair and John spent a fair amount of um, their time kind of indicting the, the, the religious leaders of the day. Like we see like right there at the beginning of Luke that like God wasn't like just categorically done with them and, you know, fed up with them and you're like, Oh, you're all bad because you know, these guys did, you know, but it's like, he still utilizes, um, the priests and the priestly line. And that's where, where John comes from. Yeah. So I think those are, are some of the reasons why we see John is from this priestly line and then mm. Jesus is, is not. Um, and I also think, I mean, now we're kind of, we're, I think we talked about this when we talked about Joseph a few weeks ago or a month or two ago. Um, but I also think that there's like some symbolic signet, like the Zechariah story sort of sets up, Mary, because like we've never heard of Mary. Right. Uh, when we read Luke one, like, well, assuming you haven't read the other Gospels, like we know if you've read the Old Testament, we know who Aaron is, we know who Levi is, we know who Abijah is. Um, so we kind of have an idea. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're from this line. Like we get it. Yeah. Um, Mary, they fit. They fit. Um, and we know that you know the priests are 
there were the religious leaders and, and Aaron was a very important person. And mm-hmm. Mary, however, we don't know a lot about her. Um, I don't even think, like, it says that she's engaged to, I was just reading this this morning. I don't have my Bible in front of me, unfortunately. But um, it says that she was engaged to Joseph, who was descended from David. But I don't think it says much about Mary. Mary is just this <clears throat> young woman. Um, and yet in just... I think it's like verse 18 to verse 34. I think 18 is Zechariah's response and 34 is Mary's response. So just in the span of, what's that, like 16, 17 verses, um, we see this difference of faith from this elderly, which, I mean, the Bible talks about, you know, the the white head is the crown of glory kind right. of thing. Uh, this elderly priest, we understand the the status and the significance of what that means compared to this young woman uh, who has no real lineage, um, the response there, I think Zechariah, uh, his, it kind of sets up for like when Mary comes along that like we really see that, you know, not to the extent, you know, that the Catholics right. elevate Mary, but that Mary really is a very special person. Hmm. Um, I mean, she's the person that God chose to, to bear his son. Um, so there's something about her that was really pretty special. Um, so I think that, that we also see that dynamic of the story of Zechariah is, is preparing us to see just how, and, and then comparing his response to Mary's kind of allows us to see in a very short story, a short passage yeah. that tells us a lot about Mary. Yeah, I think that's something that I had never, or maybe I only ever think about it at Christmas. Um, but like, yeah, the uh, like the idea of John anointing Jesus is, yeah perfect and exactly like the um you know as being the priest that has to anoint the king um that is really cool and not something that actively lives in my brain i guess is the way i would say it um and i think it's really cool to bring attention to how different of backgrounds they come from um because you know they are relatives like you said like you know they are cousins um, but also of, of some variety. Um, but still like, you know, when they finally interact, right, they are both John knows from day one that he is preparing the way for the Lord. And that actually gets said to Zachariah, right? So John grows up hearing like, this is going to be your job. Um, and, uh, whereas, you know, <clears throat> you know he's going to spend his whole ministry, just out in the wilderness with his disciples, like, you know, baptizing people and, and preparing. I, I wonder what, what else he was doing to prepare the way of the Lord. Like when he was baptizing people, what was he telling them? Like, was he just like, well, like I'm baptizing you. And in my lifetime, presumably the Messiah will come and like, will fulfill the things that I'm baptizing you for. I think we know a little bit about what he was saying. I think Luke 3 talks about, um, like, you know, people were thinking that he might be the Messiah and his response to that. And that appears to be, I, I don't know this for sure, but I guess I could look real quick. But that appears to be before, you know, Jesus really makes his appearance. Mm-hmm. Let's see if that's true. Um So it's kind of stands to reason that would was something. And that's a, a fairly common thing that we see John saying throughout the Gospels. I wouldn't be surprised if John said that more often uh, than just once, that idea of, you know, one is coming after me who is who is greater than me. John the Baptist prepares the way. Um, let's see. Let's see. 
John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. The tax collector said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to. And the soldier said, what should we do? And he said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were all waiting expectantly and were wondering if, in their hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah. And he said, I am not. Um, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So it sounds like he was, you know, kind of trying to orient people towards this idea of, like, you know, mercy and justice mm-hmm. and, you know, not not abusing mm. um, not abusing your power and not abusing the people beneath you yeah. and not assuming that you're safe just because you're an Israelite. And so, like, whatever you do must be ordained by God. Yeah. Because you're, you know, you're one of the people of God. Mm-hmm. And in that in that way, he's, he is preparing people's hearts because a you know that softens the blow a little bit of Jesus's message, right? It's something that they've heard before. He's another witness to you know, okay, well, John the Baptist was like, you know, he denied being the Messiah, so he clearly had an, a, an element of humility, you know, from their perspective, right? And uh, and he had wise things to say, and so when Jesus comes along there's a little bit less friction in terms of like, well, you know, that seems outrageous. Why would you, you know, tell me to do those things? Why would you? Right. And we see with Andrew, I'm not sure if this is the sole purpose of John's coming, but Andrew was a disciple of John before he was a disciple of Jesus. Right. And so like, there were probably other people too, who kind of like were following John because of the things he was saying and the things he was doing and he was mm. ordained by God and they could see that. Sure. And then when Jesus came and he baptized Jesus and he's like, this is the lamb of God. Then I was like, Oh, Whoop. yeah. <laughs> and so like Jesus, like, and Peter gets involved that way. So Jesus, Andrew. right. Um, and so Jesus didn't have to like start from scratch and like <clears throat> build up his own credit, so to speak. He like, was given like an on-ramp by John, not mm-hmm. that he really needed, it, needed but... it per se, but it was obviously God's plan for this to happen. So Jesus sort of had like that momentum going already when he started his ministry yeah. um, that like he had already been identified as someone of importance by someone that people thought of as important. Yeah. Yeah. Which definitely helps him kind of appear out of nowhere with a following. Right. Final thoughts on your own sermon. <laughs> Yeah, I was disappointed I couldn't give it in person. I was really, really happy with this one. And, yeah. Well, I thought the uh, video was great. Well, thanks. It was very fun. I was slightly s- sick addled when I recorded it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like finished and I was like, that wasn't my favorite thing, but whatever. It's just for the online. Yeah. Well, <laughs> God was like, ha ha. <laughs> that's what you think, you fool. <laughs> oh, well, I thought the Furby story killed. Thank you. Nobody laughed at it, but I laughed at it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, was just, I love it. Here's a Furby. Um, well, for our closing segment this week, what do you want to do for our closing segment this week, Scott? The first thing that came to my mind was, I don't know why. Sometimes it's just off-the-wall thoughts just yeah. pop in. I think for our closing segment this week, Scott and I take turns slapping each other across the face. <laughs> oh, we 30 seconds. We, just like, <laughs> we absolutely would. Here, I'll slap you right now. It's like kind of, at least, well, at least in my own ears, when I slap myself in the face, it's got kind of a higher pitch to it. Sort of like a... 
Instead well, the, of like a the problem is my beard really brings that down, brings down the. What do you want to do for a closing segment? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean, what do I mean? <laughs> I've never generated a closing segment in my life. Well, that's true. <laughs> Listeners, if you have a closing segment. Oh, I forgot. Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rathers, trivia quizzes, and closing segment ideas to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. For our closing segment this week, Scott. Take us home. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Leah and I were recently watching... You're not taking us home. Season two of Lego Masters. Right. No, now. you're going to love this. Oh, my word. Um, <clears throat> I wish I could remember exactly how Will Arnett said this, but I thought it was one of the funniest things. Um, I'm eating another cinnamon roll while you do this. That's fine. And uh, they were doing, like, one of the asides where, like, one of the Lego experts talks about, like, technical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Will Arnett was like, Jamie, will you sing us out with a Lego, with the, no, with like the, the brick info theme song? <laughs> I was like, I just love that idea. I'm just like in the middle of like just absolutely anything. Just looking at it. Now will you sing us out with the, the Bloomingdale Church podcast theme song? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Church podcast. Prow. <laughs> <laughs> What was that noise? <laughs> no, it was like a, like a, like a, like it's a, not really the noise I wanted to make. <laughs> You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, or at least what's left of it, brought to you from Bloomingdale, <laughs> Illinois, the heart of the nation. So, listeners, I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, if you're still listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, thank you very much for continuing to listen to us. I'm really sorry it's taken this long. Um, I The voice memo I recorded way back in, like, August of 2020 when the podcast was delayed one day, and I posted that voice memo instead and said, like, I'm sorry it's delayed a day. I was taking the GMAT today. I, that came up on Mix on my music uh, on the drive yesterday. And I was just like, how far have I fallen? But now I'm like, listeners, I'm sorry. It's been four weeks since I put up an episode. But I rest assured we've recorded them all. <laughs> don't worry. So I've got them. Don't em. worry. I've got them right here, bub. <laughs> So I do want to apologize for that, and and thank you to our listeners who keep listening. And and uh, you know Bob once said, he's like, I really love the podcast, but it's so long. And that was back when it was forty five minutes, and now it's consistently an hour and a half, <laughs> or like an hour and ten minutes. So podcasts are long. Podcasts are long. Um, but listeners, if you would like to see the show change, if you'd like it to be like a thirty minute show and it's just back, just nonstop. Energy. If I don't you even know if we could pull that off, I think we could. I would just have. We've to, tried. I would cut a lot of conversations short. Oh, okay. Right. Um, but listeners, if you'd like to see that, if you'd like more guests, if you'd like fewer guests, if you'd like to just meet me and Scott, for goodness sake, write into podcast at bloomingdotchurch.org. Tell us what you think. We want to know. We want to know. And we will listen. We won't read them, but we'll really want <laughs> we to. We want to know that you sent them in. <laughs> we have a naughty and nice list.